0: your day though? It was good. Are you still feeling
1: energy? Oh yeah, I got up early today. I got up at 520. Oh, that's yeah. that sounds terrible. Well, I'm taking like 1900 supplements. <laughs> <laughs> you should see my handful in the morning. It's like, it's it's a two, two hand, two fisters.
0: Why? Because
1: I am taking my daily vitamins, vitamin C, zinc, biotin, vitamin D. But I feel great. Good. I want to hear about this 1993 Apostolic Ministries and the URF yeah. for Christ Community Church plant. Yeah. I remember that yeah. I was like a middle schooler, okay. and I remember them praying over you guys and sending yeah. you out. Yeah. And then you came back.
2: I did come back because it ended after about four and a half, four four years, which you go. Uh, that was, that was a failure, but it wasn't a failure. I mean, good things came out one being Jim Cook's connection with the Youngstown leadership, and when he came back and then went out connecting with victory, being a part of Youngstown, that was part of it. I mean there were people that came that were part of that that were radically impacted and grew that's that's really cool. but what it,
1: made you guys call it?
2: Because they knew at some point it wasn't it wasn't going to continue. I knew it before we ended it, and it was for a while just kind of going through the motions. And then Jim and I just realized that it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna make it. And we had we had moved to different places: we on McClurg Road, Mahonian Avenue, a Grange Hall, and some other place. It was just like four four different places, and it was just a lot of work to set up, to
1: move because it was like a rental.
2: Yeah, we wanted to start a church, so we. Establish the you know the policies or we established what we wanted to do and we started to have a formal church, which you can do, but if I would do it differently this time where you have a core group of people that connect with the core people and they like start in a home and develop that relationship from there and then begin to grow that church out of, out of that relationship as opposed to to plant a church and start a church service. We were doing a church service. And it was okay. Again, some people really benefited from that. It was a it was a lot of work. I mean I learned a lot. I grew a so lot. So
1: when you came back you said you were a sheep for five years?
2: Not quite five years, but I think it was Dave Strefler that said, You wanna you want to be in leadership now? I said, No.
1: <laughs> you need you to a five-year break. I said,
2: I said oh. no, I think I'll just be a sheep for a while. But I, I've always found myself in leadership positions. And I, I don't know, I keep my mouth shut or whatever, and I just started. <laughs> just started Doing stuff? Just doing stuff. So I got in, into the leadership, and they ordained me again. But I tell you what, the coolest thing about setting me in for Christ Community Church was that setting-in ceremony with Richard Lambert, um, Ron King, and they set jim in even though he was set in as an elder here but we wanted to be set in as the elders there but anyway my sister and her husband came and they were so impressed and touched by that whole ceremony and in particular richard lambert who lived really close to them and they ended up going to richard lambert's church and they came to the lord richard my sister's husband richard came to jesus and that is and cool. so my dad, when my dad went through dialysis and ended up going to Maryland when my sister lived, she could care for him because she was a dialysis nurse. Richard Lambert would come visit my dad, and he saw him shortly before he died to, one to, make, sh- to make sure that he knew where he was going. I mean, I never would have thought that my sister, brother-in-law, and my dad would know Richard Lambert.
1: Maybe that was the whole reason.
2: Absolutely.
1: You never know. Wow. He leads in ways we
2: do, do not see or do not understand.
1: Did you get burnout from that?
2: I was getting burnout. My kids were young. I, I kind of wonder <laughs> how that affected them because it's just a lot of a lot of work. And you know me, I just get Workaholic. really work. I really give myself to it. And I don't know when it was. See, I was, Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know when this was, but I was I was teaching at the university.
0: Oh, did you share? I think you shared this on the Valentine's one where Sean was like, "Yeah, when is this gonna end?" Going to
2: end? I don't know. I just um, wonder what the impact of that was because it was a lot of work.
1: You should I know ask he, him.
2: I know he. I know he probably wouldn't have done uh, homeschooling.
1: He didn't like that. He's
2: such a people person. We were backpacking in the Appalachian Mountains, and he was telling me how much he wanted to play football. It all of a sudden, it hit me like, you really want to play football, don't you? He goes, yeah. And I thought, how could I? And I just could tell that, I mean, he was passionate about that. He loved sports. He went to bed with the ball, and Leslie went to bed with the book. They were very different. But why would I deny him that opportunity to fulfill his passion, because I thought homeschooling or Christian schooling was the the best. We decided to let him go to Columbian school, and it was good. I mean, was it
1: high school or did he go in middle school? High school.
2: Yeah, Leslie went tenth grade on, and Sean went the four years.
1: You ready? Yeah. Are you yawning? I'm not
0: yawning. <laughs> I need some of your vitamins. It's all
1: the subbing you're doing right now. I've been I've... Subbing?
0: Huh? I've been going to bed early. Ooh. Leaving Chris alone. <laughs> <I've>... <laughs> yeah. I haven't talked to him in days. Oh,
2: poor. More... Well, I was going to say poor Chris, but maybe Chris went,
0: whew. Haven't, haven't, oh, haven't spoken a word. I don't even know where he's at right now.
2: <laughs> Living
0: the high life. All by himself <laughs> out,
2: out in the woods. Yeah, He's
0: with our children.
2: Well, he's happy.
0: I said, homework. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> it's that time of year again. Homework. Math is the bane of our existence.
1: Math. I don't like math. Ugh. I could do it all because I just... Followed the rules. <laughs> oh gosh, but I sound- don't remember the rules now. <laughs> you sound like Chris. This is what- I
2: can't do math in my head. I, just, I can't. I can't remember numbers.
0: Do you have dyscalculia?
2: I have dyslexia sometimes. I think I flip numbers all the time.
1: Just numbers, not letters?
2: More numbers. Or this is something.
1: You're like, sorry, I meant to write you a check like- for $20. <laughs> $220. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: decimal points are pretty significant. <laughs> But if somebody says, my number is dot, 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 it's like, slow down. Take one number at a time. I get all confused. It just didn't even happened today. Uh, on a phone call, I got I had it jot down the numbers in the code. So I went over and over and over again to make sure the numbers were correct. Did you get in? No. <laughs> you didn't then, be, like, <laughs> Because the number on my card, I couldn't figure out what my membership number was. I finally got the information I needed.
0: <laughs> well, this is what Chris and I argue about all the time. You know, to him, like you were saying, like, math is wonderful because there's always a correct answer. And there's always some sort of formula in order to get an answer. Right. And I love literature because there's never always that exact answer. Right. There's the discussion of the topic, you know, the use of the terms inside of content. Yeah. But it's never like A plus B equals.
2: I remember one time drawing a circle and wondering if I could figure out where the center of that circle was based on parallel lines and perpendicular lines and them intersecting. You know, just like... You were
1: just bored. Like, was, where's the middle of this yeah,
2: circle? Yeah, so... Oh,
0: that sounds <laughs> terrible. Oh, wait till oh. I tell you about
2: my science projects. No, <laughs> oh, my
1: goodness. <sighs> All right. I'm just talk about that. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's E. It's K. It's James. You want to say J? James, J. Oh, oh I should say J. We are here with... <laughs> James Gregory Aker, a.k.a. Pastor Greg. Greg? Hey, good to be here. Greg was with us in February 2021 with Marta.
2: I know, where is she?
1: On the love boat (laughs) sessions, on relationships. Where's my helper? So, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, go back and check it out. We're here to talk all about Greg today. So glad to have you here.
2: I'm glad to be here. It's good to be here. This is what it's like all Alone. by yourself two women interrogating me i don't know <laughs> how does it feel <laughs> just wait i mean. well, here i know people have come through and said oh you'll be fine don't be worried about it and it's like this is kind of ner- nerve-wracking just to talk about yourself it's like you're not know, used to just
1: you're telling your story t-
2: i'm telling my story
1: we like stories yes. there are a couple
0: of nerve-wracking factors that can go into so i'm always really grateful for, for the people who say yes
1: greg was born He's going to give his age. In 1953, I won't tell you how old he is, but... 68. 68. Okay, he did. He was raised in Eaton, Ohio, which is west of Dayton. He's very educated, Spent his entire adult life in school somehow. But he graduated from... Because he couldn't get out. Eton High School. He was a gymnast in high school. Were you an no, artist? No,
2: no, no, no. I was a gymnast in college.
1: Oh, so you just were like walked on the team in college?
2: I'd always wanted to. <laughs> I did. I'd always wanted wow. to be in gymnastics. And actually was a little bit in a town, Richmond, Indiana, which is close to Eton. But my parents wouldn't drive me. And the people who took me got tired of taking me. So it's oh kind of dropped God. off. <laughs> But I just loved tumbling and flips. And so such. were
1: you a walk-on? Yeah,
2: I was a walk-on. I did all the stuff at the high bar, the flipping around, back handspring, back flip. The vault? I did the vault. Wow. I didn't. I wasn't very good. <laughs> but I loved the, the floor and the high bar was the coolest thing. The high bar flipping Can around. Can you still tumble? So one day at school, see, I, I was hired at East Palestine for gymnastics. They needed a gymnastics coach and an art teacher. So they called me up. I had no idea what East Palestine was. I thought it was a, I was going to the Middle East. <laughs> I didn't know where it was. No, I, so I taught or coached gymnastics for two years at East Palestine. But the kids at one point, I forget how many years it was later, they knew that I had that background. So they said, hey, Mr. Aker, I heard your gymnastics. I said, yeah. They said, can you do a handstand? I said, I think I could. Well, let's see it. I said, I tell you what, how about if I go home I'll practice tomorrow. I'll do it. And I'm thinking, first of all, I got to practice, and number two, they'll forget. Well, they didn't forget. Oh, did man. you
1: practice?
2: I practiced. You would. I, mean. I, I did. So I come to school, and they say, "Hey, okay, you go do the handstand." I said, "Okay." I said, so "Let's move the desks away." And I said, "Now, when I do this, if I begin to fall, I will roll out of out of it. Don't freak out. I'll, I'll be fine." So I did this. Don't try to catch nice, me. Ding, nice straight handstand. And came back down. But I was doing handstands all day long. <laughs> <Because the kids laughs> every, came, class. every class. We hey, well, not work here until you doing do handstands, handstands today. <laughs> today. Okay, okay. Put the back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Travels. So,
2: that was fun.
1: Greg went to Bowling Green. He was a science major and switched to art education. He was at Kent for two summers studying studio art, and he went to YSU where he got his master's in art education. He's been a lifeguard, a YMCA waterfront director. He was a pipeline x-ray technician assistant. I don't even know what that is, but okay.
0: You're x-raying pipelines? Mm
1: -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For
0: what? Underground?
2: For... The laying down of uh, gas pipelines or oil pipelines. The welds have to be x-rayed so they are Oh, I think the
1: waterfront director would have been more fun. Oh, much more fun.
2: (laughs) But I made a lot of money. I made good money. Oh, that's (laughs) true. I made good money.
1: Then he was hired at East Palestine, Ohio High School, where he was the art teacher and gymnastics. He started out as the art teacher and gymnastics coach. And he taught at East Palestine High School forever. 37 years teaching high school. He also taught at YSU. He taught drawing and art history. If you haven't seen his artwork.
0: I'm trying to think where else your art is. Where else can we find your art?
2: Well, we used to have that sunset. Right, but, I have it but it's not here. Okay.
1: It's not here. Greg's been married to his wife Marta for 42 years. Mm-hmm. They have two children, Sean, who is married with a two-year-old granddaughter Lola, and Leslie, who's married and has a granddaughter Kinley and a grandson Abel. He's got lots of hobbies because he's super creative. Playing music, he's in a band, Chip and the Monks. He plays. All sorts of instruments. Give us the rundown. Saxophone,
2: flute, harmonica, whistle. It's uh, oh. like an Irish whistle, t- oh, yeah. tin whistle. Egg shaker. Kids love the egg shaker and um, the
1: rain stick. The
2: rain stick, bubbles. He's- I play bubbles, and one of the songs we do is Octopus Garden, and I play the bubbles. <laughs>
1: Not sure and how you it's play probably bubbles, the kids but
0: favorites.
2: they do. It's the weird stuff the whistle, mm-hmm. the shaker. I have a glass of water and I have a straw and I blow bubbles into it by the microphone, makes the bubble sound. So it's part of the song. <laughs> the, <laughs> Oct- the Octopus Garden, the yeah. Beatles song.
1: He loves creating yeah, lots of things. He also loves the outdoors. He likes to kayak, bike, take long walks. He's part of the worship team here at the Upper Room Fellowship. He's been a part of the Upper Room since 1977 for 44 years. He's been our one of our elders for 28 years total. In 1993, he and another elder went to do a church plant in Boardman.
2: The name was okay. Christ Community Church <laughs> with the Apostolic Team Ministry, which was which was the our covering. apostolic covering for the Upper Room. And therefore, the Community Church, we no longer are affiliated with them anymore. Not that they're bad. They just were Toledo area, and we didn't have much of a relationship, so we moved
1: away from them. Good people, though. He did that church plant for four years. I
0: remember being a little kid, being there, visiting. Was it previously in Aquapazo?
2: Yes, Okay. That's where we started there, and then we then she was going to sell the building, and so we had to, we moved. So we moved three other places after that. But I and that's already, why it was just like had we stayed there, it would have been better. But we had to move, and then we had to move again. And we had to move again. That that was tough.
0: But I remember being there hmm? and the building being filled with oddities. Yeah, cool. I remember it feeling so mysterious when I was a kid. Now it's aquapazo. How crazy Aquapazzo, is that? Yeah. Anyways, Greg and
1: Marta came back after four years mm-hmm. to the upper room and they asked him if he wanted to be in leadership. And he's like, no, not right now. So he took a break and then became an elder again and has been here ever since serving us at the upper room fellowship. Yes. And Greg is our administrative pastor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm very organized it's very interesting cuz you're so creative but you're also so detail oriented and weird. you try to keep everyone in line yeah. it's like herding squirrels sometimes <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it <laughs> so a very yeah. interesting yeah. gift mix it, it is it you're is. so it creative is. and usually creative people are ones who yeah. are trying to like yeah. Yeah. herd squirrels but yeah. you have a very well, gift of administration that's on you. that's why
2: in administration I'm all, I'm always living out there I'm living Days, weeks, months, out in the future, planning, getting stuff ready. And sometimes I even forget, like, what day am I? What, am I? <laughs> what day am I? But when I'm doing music, it's the moment. I'm in the moment. I Just I'm there. Nothing else exists.
1: So he's, he has I a switch, lo- and he switches on it. his yeah. left brain or his right yeah, brain. I do. Brain. That's why
2: I finally realized I have trouble talking a lot. We I mean, really have trouble talking after playing music and coming down off the stage because I'm in that right side of my brain, that zone, and I come down, I have to shift to the left side so of my brain. So we right.
1: should not have you doing announcements after you I don't, play on the worship I don't, team. I don't.
2: I don't. That's why I don't. I don't. I don't like to. Yeah.
1: So welcome, hey. solo yeah. visitor getting interrogated by us today. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not intimidating. You should see the tears. <laughs> no, this is good. So tell us, Greg, who or what turned your light on? Great question.
2: I think I want to say before I tell the story, because I hope this comes through throughout the whole time, is that God works in ways we do not see or do not understand, and he knows where he wants to take us. You know, we talk in the upper room, we talk about identity and destiny, and it is true that he knows who we are, he knows how he's fashioned us and formed us, he saw us in his being fashioned in our mother's womb, he knew us before the foundation of the world. He just knows who we are. We don't, but he does. And we have the opportunity over a lifetime, if we cooperate with him to kind of discover not only who he is, but who we are. But in that journey that we're living, we make a lot of mistakes. And he's there in those mistakes. And he's also in the decisions that we're making. He's there to guide us and direct us in those decisions, you know. Because I never thought I'd be here doing this. i do not talking about that inter- interview, but I'm talking about <laughs> In this, this leadership position in church, nor in East Palestine or Columbiana. So, anyway, he grew up. I had four sisters, a mom and a dad. Uh, four sisters always wanted a brother, never had a brother. When when my little sister, Lisa, sorry, Lisa, if you hear this, <laughs> I, I was really mad at mom. It's like, oh, come on, mom. Can't you do more? You know, more than girls. <clears throat> so, I really wanted a brother, but I had four sisters and I love my sisters. I grew up on a nursery. Uh, my grandpa had an 18 acre nursery, so I loved the outdoors. So, went to church. My dad did not. My dad played golf. My mom and my sisters went to church. My grandma and grandpa Schwarztrauber. So grandpa was a Sunday school teacher. Grandma was a choir director. I was an acolyte. An acolyte is the, I forget what age, but I would be in the, the white robe carrying the long pole with the wick that lit. What
1: denomination was this?
2: Oh, Methodist Church. Okay. I would walk choir behind me and I would go up and I would light the candle at the altar and the candelabra, we call it, you yeah. know, with all the candles. And then I would sit on a chair, there were two chairs, so there were two of us, and I would sit on a chair in the front facing the, the congregation. So that was pretty intimidating. You really had to be on your best behavior because as, as the, <laughs> yeah. the whole congregation could be looking at you. you know The funniest thing, I'll don't forget one time I sat down. You know, you stand up and sit down. I sat down one time and I felt this. Knock on top of my head. Well, the top knob of the chair fell and hit, hit the top oh. of my head. <laughs> but I remember one time sitting there, I don't know when it was, but I mean, I loved going to church. I loved Sunday school. I had two aunts, Minnie and Matilda Schwarzstrauber. They were what you would call old maids. They never married. They had a hat millinery shop. They mm. bought hats, but then decorated them and they sold clothing too. They were so cool they talked to me about Jesus. They gave me a, a Psalm and Proverbs book. It wasn't the whole Bible. I had a Bible, but they gave me a Psalm and Proverbs. I loved reading that. And they gave me a book on scripture to memorize. And I would, I would sit in bed and read that. I loved that. Eventually, as you get older, I guess, I don't know, you just start to question. And I remember one time sitting in church and just, just looking and thinking, yeah, if God was really here, wouldn't this be different? I just thought there's something missing and I began to question God. I thought, you know, why why did God make it so hard that you had to believe in this man you can't see? I can't see him. Why would God make it so hard? And I really began to, to question.
1: Was that when you were a teenager?
2: Teenager and especially in college. You know, I was really into science, really into science. I went to Bowling Green for science. I was going to be a marine biologist, I was going to be an oceanographer.
1: So, did your love for science butt up against your upbringing?
2: I did, because at one point I thought that the Bible went so far and science went the rest of the way. I thought science explained everything, and the Bible was kind of myth. Even though I had never really read the whole thing, I had heard the stories, but never, never really, obviously, had not met the, the author. I, when I went to Bowling Green, I thought, I'm going to do research because that's what I did in high school. And of course, you don't do research. You go to these big lecture halls and stuff, and you get taught. And it was good, but I wanted to do research. So I had to take an art class. And I'll back up a little bit. When I was in high school, I had an art teacher, and I was doing some art on my own, and she saw some stuff I was doing. She goes, get out of the study hall and come into an advanced class. She plopped me in an art four class and loved that. Loved that freedom. And when I went to school and took an art class, they said, what are you doing in in science? And so I found the freedom that I had in science in the studio. And I made that. So it was a huge decision because I was going to go to Bowling Green, go to Woods Hole in Maine, and be like a Jacques Cousteau in the ocean. <laughs> so God had another another plan. And
0: uh, So how did you get there I, after college and beginning to question so much?
2: I just made this shift from the exploring in science to exploring in art.
0: And, and that ended up being exploring faith?
2: So I'm questioning, you know, science and da-da-da. So in in the podcast with Marta, you know, Marta and me, we told our story. And I I got married right out of college. It was a huge mistake. God was not in it at all. And I got a job in East Palestine again. I lived on Pancakes Clarkson Road, close to Lake Tomahawk. And anyway, in that apartment complex was a girl named Becky. And I was not attracted to Becky, but I was attracted to the fact that she talked about this man Jesus, like he was real. She knew him. And I never met somebody who talked about God and Jesus like he was real. Then I started asking her questions, and she was smart. She had somebody call me, somebody else, invite me to their Bible study. What I didn't know is that was part of what caused the division in her marriage because she did not accept that at all. That was not good. <laughs> I realized too. I didn't realize until later she was seeing somebody else. And I didn't realize that at the time. But in this Bible study, they just loved me. We had a little book. And, and of course, me, I did all the answers and stuff. And I was reading <laughs> and reading Scripture and, and asking a bunch of questions. And one night, I'm reading where it says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and nobody can come to the Father but through me. And that threw me off because I thought, again, why would God make it so hard? You had to believe in somebody you can't see. You can get to God in multiple ways. You want to study this or believe this? It's said, no, he's the way and nobody can come to the Father but through me. And I remember closing the Bible. I said, God, that's either, that's either real or that's a lie. It can't be both. Mm. So if, if you're real, make yourself real. And what he said was, I can do that. But I didn't hear that. Then I just had a hunger for the word. I couldn't put it down. I just loved the word. And I loved going to the church. I just It just all made sense. But prior to that, in my journey of college, I needed to get a job because I couldn't go back to the pool where I was working because I and some of the other people had started smoking pot. And that got out. My science teacher, who was hugely my mentor, was actually the pool manager, and that must have been, that must have broken his heart that he could not hire me to be alive, because we were just, you know, he, he helped me a lot in my science projects, he's awesome. But yeah, I just, I began to experiment with drugs and and stuff, and it was not good, and I had a roommate who my sophomore year said, great, you're doing too much, and that really woke me up. I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? I didn't come to college for this, and it literally woke me up, and I, I, I stopped cold turkey. I think it was because somebody cared. It wasn't from the spiritual side, but just the fact that he that he loved me enough to say, I'm really concerned about you. So I needed a job, so I saw on a bulletin board about they were looking for somebody in a, a camp, a YMC camp. And I didn't know what I was applying for, so I just went for the interview. And they hired me to be the waterfront director of this camp. Well, I'd never been to camp, never been a waterfront director. The year I was there in uh, 72, they had a huge flood, so they actually had too much water. There was too much waterfront. But I had a cabin, and eventually I got into the boathouse. And I had an office, and an assistant. And I'm in there, and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to dr- be directing this waterfront, and I don't... Anyway, I just remember sitting in bed and saying, God... You gotta help me. I I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, I went to bed, and I got up the next day, and I just thought I can do this. I, I think God said I'm going to show you how to do it. You know, I just because He knew where I was going to go, He knew the leadership positions I was going to be in. You know, He leads in ways you do not know. So all those things, I just God was calling me. And so back to being in uh, Rogers, Ohio. The separation occurred. I was devastated. I uh, was part of a group in East Liverpool, not only the Bible study, but another group who put on concerts. And they were having a Keith Green concert. Now, some people know who Keith Green is, and some people may not know who Keith Green is, but that was pretty pretty cool. And they wanted to get that information up to a group of people that met in Columbiana. And I said, I, I'm going to the mall. You tell me how to get there, and I will tell them about the concert. So, I came to the upper room probably 76 that I went up and told them this was a Wednesday night because they had a meeting and I went in and told them about the Keith Green concert and then I left but when the separation occurred I thought I'll move to Columbiana because this group of kids at that time are meeting and I'll get connected with them so I I found them right away and that's how I found the upper room at that time we were meeting above the Kreidler building which is now Generation Zan Studio, they had just left the upper room where Dr. Strieffler had his office. Your mom and dad weren't there. They were in California, so I hadn't met mm-hmm. them yet. you know. And then I met Marta and brought her to the upper room, and we just did life together with the people at the upper room. So when you started
1: yeah. reading the Bible, that hunger for the Bible you know, the Bible's living, active.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a living word and it's active and it, it cuts to the core of who one is.
1: Did you experience that then when oh. you started reading oh, yeah. the Bible? Yeah. It's so interesting to me. We've talked to people yeah. that grew up in church, have been around religion, but have never read the Bible. Oh yeah. And they're still I you know, I hear a lot of times that there are so many Christians that do not read the Bible. They're Bible illiterate, right. you know, they might know the stories from right. Sunday school right. classes, but actually right. getting into the Word, allowing it to right. work in your heart and right. to change you, and well, it's really a fascinating me, yeah, book. Yeah, for me
2: to read the Bible and read about the stories, I mean, read the Scriptures about the stories that you had heard, but never had read the Scriptures, it was really good. And, you know, like anybody, I tell anybody how Bible's so there's so much there. God's wisdom is so immense. It's a constant life journey. And how do you take it all in? Like eating an elephant, one bite at a time. (laughs) It's just, you begin to make connections and see those relationships. So was it
1: when you, you know, you asked God for help when you were a waterfront director and you woke up the next day and you're like, I can do this. But, you know, when you felt like, how do you believe in a man you can't see? Is that when it became real to you or was that a seed that got planted? That that was a seed.
2: I didn't realize what he was doing. I looked back and saw that. You know, you have many... Times when really God's speaking to you and you're just like, oh, this is an awesome time. Memorable moments of, of a neat conversation with God was when we were going to build a house and I had just sold the house, the old house on, on West Park Avenue. Just sold the house out from underneath us. And I thought, what have I just done? I just, I don't know where we're going to go. I was going to have hand surgery. I think at that time we were thinking about building a house, which was crazy, a crazy idea. And I just woke up one morning, like, again, kind of in this, like, God, what am I going to do? And I remember sitting down. It was early in the morning. I woke up early. It was dark. I made a cup of coffee. I took my Bible outside on the back porch. And I never opened up the Bible. We just had this conversation. I started having all these flashbacks. And one of them was was that at the camp when I just called out to him. He said, Remember that? I was there. And then I just started thinking of other things. You know, remember that? I was there. I was there. I was there. Remember that I was there. And I'm here now. And then he told me, Remember what I've done, see what I'm doing, and watch what I'm about to do. It was like as clear as a bell. You know, remember what I've done. I've been guiding you and directing you and I've taken you on this journey but at the moment, see what you got to see what I'm doing, but watch what I'm about to do. And it wasn't the house. It was, I think, where I find myself now, which I wouldn't have never thought. Because at that time, I loved teaching. I still love teaching, but I loved art. And I, I thought I wanted to be in a studio, sell work, which I did. I got in a gallery and I was selling work. So, I mean, someday I'll, maybe go, I'll go back to the visual, but then I shift to the music. You know, it's just a different art form. I mean, I love that stuff, but what I'm questioning to merge into is what's my passion? My passion is the church. And when I talk about church, I'm not talking about the church service. I'm talking about the greater church. I'm talking about his body here on earth, that he is here on earth in his spirit, in our spirit, but he's in the earth through his church. I love the church. What I'm passionate about is the fully realized church, when the when the church realizes who we are. So my dream is to see the church fully realized. I love Sunday morning. I love the worship. I love the word. I love when you come together. It's extremely important. But that's not the main event. That's not the church. I mean, it's the church, but the church is the church out there doing the thing, which I think Podcast is just awesome. When you hear the stories of what people are doing out there, and they're explaining how their light is shining out there, that's it. That's the church. I've always envisioned, like, can you imagine a body that they don't come to church, they are the church, and they're doing their ministry, they're letting their light shine out there, and they just come together on a Sunday to celebrate. That's, that's why we call it the celebration. They they celebrate, they worship Him, but they celebrate the fact that well, all He's done, and then you go out and do it again.
1: Well, isn't that yeah. fun how you have such a passion for the church, but God has put you in a place where you get to do creative, you get to do music, you get to teach, you get to yeah. connect, you, you mm-hmm. know, you are such a great connector. So all these skills that you have that are not always in one person, you get to do all of that here.
0: (laughs) It's like, sometimes that's great. (laughs) Other times. uh, I love so much that that is something that, that anyone has to question about you. What lights you up is so visible that everyone knows it. Even just talking to Matt Peterson about he's at Midway Mennonite, and he's part of CCMA, which is the ministerial association. But we're having this conversation, he and I, about the importance of the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. And Jesus' prayer in the garden, like, mm-hmm. let them be one. Like, you and I are one. Let yeah, them be yeah. one so they can show right. the world who I am and how much I love them. Right. But after having that conversation, you know, Matt's like... Greg's always talking about the big C church, being unified. That's like the most important thing, you know? And people all over know that that's important to you. And I think that's so good because it makes people consider. Right.
2: Well, all that we experience, and I'm not talking about just me, all of us, all that we experience, we're a collection of all those things that we have experienced, done, or done to us, all that stuff. and And God uses that for good. And we sometimes compartmentalize our life and we compartmentalize information and it all fits together and becomes the whole of who we are. Leonardo da Vinci, I hope I get to meet Leonardo someday. Mm. (laughs) He was not a scientist. He was not an artist. He was not a musician. He was not a mathematician. He was all of those things. Mm -hmm. He wasn't those separate entities. And he once in one of his journals, which he wrote backwards, which is crazy, to think about, he said, and this was way back then. He said, "We're a prisoner of compartmentalization." If that, if he could say that then, how much more can we say now? I never saw myself as an art teacher or teaching kids art. I taught, I taught kids art. I didn't teach art. I taught, I taught kids art, and it was really I wanted them to realize the potential inside of them that they could, they could tap into something they thought they didn't have. I knew they weren't going to be artists. Some I know some are, but that wasn't that wasn't my goal. Was to tap into and realize they had a potential that was greater than what they thought they had. And I'd do stuff, and they go, th- they go. I thought this was art class, and I said, "Well, it is art class." And Leonardo da Vinci's students, they didn't understand what he was doing. They thought, you know, they were going to do art, and they. They were dissecting people and stuff and (laughs) and playing with water and playing with plants and he was just on a quest for knowledge and he was trying to understand his world. And the art was simply a means for that. Understand Mm -hmm. that. So I don't know how this all connects, but but it does it does connect. I mean, I love learning, I love people. I want to make an impact. I want people to be who they are. So that kind of leads to this. Wait,
1: let me ask the next question.
2: Kind of leads to the next.
1: Go ahead, and ask a question. Okay. What is the next question? <laughs> so, Greg, tell us how you're letting your light shine right now in oh, your life.
2: I look at my role, my responsibility as an elder of simply equipping the saints for their works of service.
1: That's it.
2: And I love, I love the team that I'm on. And I love the roles that we share. I love that team concept. It can be difficult as a teacher. When I taught, it was my empire. I was the teacher. I, was, I didn't have to answer anybody. I could do what I wanted to do. I didn't have to run it by anybody. And that was cool. But I always kind of wish I had a team to work with. But now I have a team. We have a team. And that's awesome. But anyway, our role is simply to equip the saints for their works of service. You know, we're all ministers.
1: And tell us how you're doing that. How are you equipping people?
2: The foundation material, I think, is awesome. And Kate helped me develop. develop So for those of you not listening.
1: (laughs) 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 That have turned off a long time ago. If you're just turning this back on. Yeah. For those, uh, for those listening who don't know what Foundations is, can you explain that?
2: Foundation. It is, we have foundation 1, 2, and 3, but it's taking how we do what we do, knowing God, sharing life, and serving others, and looking at that in depth. But the first one, Foundation 1, is an orientation to who we are, so that at the end, hopefully, they get, grasp the heart for the house. And that came about because we really weren't doing that very well. So that equipping of the saints, and again, just working with the the Sunday school classes to equip the people for the works. I think the kingdom class, you know, the kingdom is where you are.
0: And Greg, Mm -hmm. I think one of Greg's strengths is that he's really involved here in groups, in Sunday school Mm -hmm. classes, in the everyday, making everything function and fit and roll. But I think one of his true strengths is pastoring individually. When we talk about letting your light shine, I mean, we can definitely see that at the church, you know, as the church is, the lights are on, we're all here, Sunday school's ready to go, you know, foundations classes put together because of him, all of those things. But really, throughout the week, he lets his light shine really brightly, individually with tons of
1: people. Well, when I'm doing my section greeter job, which Again, all of you out there listening, you are section greeters. Yes, absolutely. When you're at church, I have the right side, middle. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll ask new people, oh, how'd you hear about us? And they're like, Pastor Greg, Greg, Mm -hmm. Pastor Greg. So many people come. To the upper room, mm-hmm. because you invite them, yeah, and then and they stick around.
0: Right. And it's not just letting your light shine individually here with the people who are part of the congregation, which he does. Mm-hmm. It is hugely outside of the upper room as well. Mm-hmm. He is deeply involved in the ministerial association. Yes, he's the president of ministerial president, association. Yes. A, and that means he's <clears throat> involved with Locked. a so good number of pastors. So tell us about
1: that pastors. role.
2: When I first went to my CCMA meeting, Colombian Christian Ministerial Association meeting, I was really intimidated because I'd never gone to seminary school, and here's Father Lee, and there's Father Cicero, <laughs> and there's Reverend Fritz Nelson, and you know all these pastors who have gone through the big hoops to get to where they are, and, and that's awesome. And I didn't, so I'm thinking... This is just really intimidating, you know. And then I find out that they're just real people, you know, and they're okay. And then, again, I don't know, I just keep finding myself in leadership positions like, what am I doing here? I, I think it was Chuck that said, hey, Gary, why don't you, why don't you uh, put your hat in the ring for president? And I said, yes. Again, God's looking for people who say yes, mm-hmm. and you're not ready for it. But I said yes, and I did. And so it's been three years that I've been president. I do love it. It's, it's not easy, but it's so, it is extremely important. The unity of the church for the community, Columbiana, it's uh, the visibility, the reality of the church coming together, working together is huge. And our connection with the city is very significant and very intentional, So our meeting with the mayor, the chief of police, the city manager, I mean, to call them up and to pray with them, and then also to connect them together. Our last CCMA meeting with the leaders in in Columbiana, and it was just so cool to be, and then the church, just to create that foundation of relationship so Mm -hmm. if something happens like this suicide that recently happened, and so there's a connection and we respond. And that's that's huge. Or again, my relationship with the mental health board, which I I never pursued that, but I find it hugely personally helpful. The information I'm learning, hopefully helpful for our church. But that information is going out to the other churches and connecting the other churches to a lot of amazing people who are in these areas of resources. So knowing a lot of different people and how to connect those people together. I find interesting, and I never, I never saw myself as well. As and a you're connector. so good at it. too. I never saw myself as a connector, but I think connectors are important. Mm-hmm. I do this not even thinking about it. Like somebody can't, like somebody will come and they'll start talking. I go, oh you, oh, you need to go see this person, and I'll go and actually say, here, so and so, you need to meet this person. So connectors know where the resources are and then pulling them them together.
0: I think that just goes to show that that's a truth inside of you, not even having to think about it and you just do it. That's authentic and a very visible reality of how you live. Like when you say that the church is important to you, it's not just important on a Sunday morning, like you can see how important it is in your life, in your day to day, because you're everywhere. You're all over the city, you're in a ton of other churches, you're connecting with a bunch of other pastors. It's just how you live.
2: Yeah. Jesus is the answer, but that answer is embodied in his body, which is the church. So the church is the answer. It's the ecclesia, it's the legislative authority that he said he he will establish and the gates of hell shall not prevail. When he told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, build my legislative authority, which wasn't, we, we call it church, and then you have this concept of what church is. He wasn't using a religious term, he was using a secular term. And they knew exactly what he meant because they didn't. They weren't thinking religiously; they were thinking impactfully. So I'll build my authoritative body on this earth. It's God's kingdom on earth, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that church is not going to diminish. We think, you know, in the times in which you live, the church is declining. The church is weak. It's not going to be. Impact- that's not. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. That's not how the Bible ends it's hugely impactful. So kingdom is advancing and forceful people grab hold of that and and go with that. It's. I had somebody one time say to me recently, just very recently, said, I can't wait for revival to come. And I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, you know, and what they were, what, I knew what they were thinking. And what they were thinking was we come to church and the worship is awesome and you feel his presence and you might I don't know, sway a little bit more, fervently, or raise your hand, or maybe you'll fall down or shake, whatever. And those manifestations are good, but if it doesn't impact out there, what the heck? Yep. What the heck? I mean, I tell people in Foundation One, one of the gifts of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. It's awesome. Paul said, I hope you all speak in tongues as much as I do. But that's not the badge we wear, I mean, unless it empowers us to be his witness out there, it's ineffective, it's unimportant. So anyway, that teaching the body, the power of the Holy Spirit within us to impact the world. Uh, right.
0: And that was you- it, something that even Chris was mentioning, <clears throat> yeah. that his desire for revival is that, yes, you see some of the impact within the church, right. but the true impact... Mm-hmm is seeing the world around us and the people around yeah. us changed and super yeah. affected.
2: In the Bible, you see that happening, but it's out there in the world doing the nitty-gritty and impacting people's lives that are hurting. We have the good news. We have the good news of Jesus that the world is hung hungry for. It's
1: good,
0: it's
2: good stuff. Now the supernatural Now the question. question. Okay, yes. so this question... Wait, let her
0: ask.
1: Oh. <laughs> you don't even need you us don't even Greg. I know what
0: the <laughs> question is. Well, is We're of- in year two. <laughs> is there a... Su- well, apparently there is a supernatural story that you'd love to share with us.
2: I've shared this with a couple of people. So if you've heard this story, just you can turn it off. But- <laughs> Turn
1: it off. He may make sure you tune in next week. Well, that's
2: true. But um, again, he leads us in ways we do not see and do not understand. And the Holy Spirit is always working, even when we don't know it. So I'm a waterfront director at a camp in New York. It's called Camp Corey, all boys' um, camp. And they had an award at the end of each year called the Sons of Corrie. And this went on for years and years and years. In fact, a picture of the wall, and there's probably about 40 plaques. When I get there, they ask me, because I'm an art teacher, because, you know, can you do the plaque for this year? So I did, the first year I did the plaque for the Sons of Corrie. And it was the sunset of the lake and then had the names of those who were selected for the sons of Corey. And I I knew early on in that, I just didn't like it because most of the boys who were there, their grandfather was there, the father was there. They came from good families, but we also brought kids from the inner city. And there was no way those kids from the inner city could behave in such a way as they're going to get that award. that These other kids could. And I just, in my spirit, and I didn't know it was my spirit, but I just knew that's not fair. You know, they're not done. They're victims of, of their environment. And, you know, in some regards, they can't help it. You know, it's, I don't know. I just, I just didn't. So that was the first year. And I probably even voiced it more the second year because they asked me to do the plaque again. Only well, this year, I had on one side of the plaque, I did this, I was experimenting with this technique which I won't go into, but I made this kind of atmospheric kind of rendering. On the other side, though, I included all the names of the boys who got the award, but I used their name on the side to make it look like there were more names. And what I was saying was there's more that should get this award than just who got this award because they were being identified by their behavior, but not who they really were. Although I wasn't really understanding that at that time, 40 years later, I'm. I started thinking about Camp Corey. Wondered what's Camp Corey like. So I got on the computer and and, and I see the the camp, and I say, "Hey Marta, come see this. You know, look, this is a Camp Corey." I said, "Oh, someday I'd love to go up there." And well, she heard that and she tucked that in her brain. And she's really good at this. She called the camp and found out there was an alumni event coming up, and so she planned that. And uh, we go to that alumni event. At some point, I go into the mess hall where these plaques are and walk in and my plaque was the the last plaque the award stopped i thought oh my gosh holy spirit was speaking to me then there was an impact that made an impact and what was really interesting is that one night i started to explain the story to the camp director at that time and then some of the boys that were on that plaque were there And they were asking, why did you make that plaque that way? And I started talking to them about identity and destiny because now I understood what I was really saying. And somebody there who's in the leadership position said they at some time wanted to start that back up again. I just thought that was really... For Marta to hear that desire for me to go back to Camp Corey, to plan all that at the right time when those guys were there, that's the leading of the Holy Spirit. To make an impact when you don't realize... You know, we sometimes we... We make an impact, and we have no no idea we're making an impact till years later, or, or maybe you'll
1: never know. You were a pot-smoking hippie. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there listening, thinking, I don't have my life together, I'm a hot mess, you know, to look at you now you never... as an elder of the church, you know, 28 yeah. years in leadership and eldership, serving our community with CCMA as the president, and how God took you on that journey. Yeah. Planted those little seeds. It's just amazing to me. I want people to look at Greg's life and not be like, I could never be like that. I could never do that. Because it's not. the Holy Spirit and God working in you, Him being able to take you, take you, take me, take Kate, you know, from these places where we just seem like we're a hot mess and walks with us the whole entire Absolutely. way. And God doesn't need you to clean up. Right. But he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. So, you know, once we accept yeah. Jesus and we say, yes, be our Lord and Savior, be our friend, he walks with us. We get transformed because of what he's doing in our lives. And I, I right. just love your story that you've come from having a love as a child and then that pulling away and trying to figure mm-hmm. things out mm-hmm. and not thinking science and faith can fit together and how he just walks you through that journey. And here you are at 68, an elder of the church. And you are an elder. <laughs> You're one of our guys. old guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, wise guys. Wise guys. <laughs> But that you are so intent about pouring into other people mm-hmm. and discipling other people so they can get the information that they need or they mm-hmm. can get tools for their mm-hmm. tool belt to change their lives and be different. And so I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful that you serve our community so beautifully yes. inside the church and outside the church. Yeah. And you know, you and Marta, you're a a power team and you work so tired you might feel tired but it seems tirelessly you are constantly i mean just pouring both you and marta pouring your life out and serving us at the upper room and serving our community and our community leaders and it's really beautiful oh i appreciate that your light is definitely shining so thank you for that Well, we really appreciate your time and your story and your service to us, and we love you. And oh. thanks for sharing. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. Make we can sure
0: unlock the chains now.
1: <laughs> turn off the spotlight. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> the
2: drip, drip, drip of the water. Yeah.
1: Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.